a good God created a good world in which he placed good people to do good work so they could live the good life. The good life meant living harmoniously in community with God and others within the physical world created for us. Do I really believe that? Or am I doubting already that there is a good God who created a good world so that good people could live the good life in community with God, with others, with themselves in this world? Can you believe it? Well, this is an invitation to go on our journey. And, as you know, we've called it the Doubter's Guide to the Bible. These are available out the back if you want to buy one, just $20. And the other thing that's available is this little handout, which is, believe it or not, a summary of this book. And this handbook, this little handout, is available to you so that you can somehow learn to recite the story, know where different parts of God's story and your story fit, and use it to expand on, elaborate, come back to, so that you know how to answer others, how to talk to others, how to share your faith. Now, the language in this... It's the same language that we will be using in the 10-week series. Believe it or not, we're not going to do it all in 10 weeks. We're going to do different sections. I think section one is the first three chapters of this. And then we're going to look at some of the characters of the Bible and how they struggled like you and I do. So we are on a journey. And every journey needs a roadmap. And it is exciting because John Dixon calls this the roadmap of how God planned, revealed, and executed his plan for this world. You got it? It's a roadmap to be followed. I'm not really good at directions. My maps, this is when we had maps, if I was there, I had to turn it exactly the way, usually upside down, so that I knew which was right and which was left. And I almost had to turn my body as the road turned so that I could follow it. Well, maybe you need to do that with the Bible as well. It's okay. It can cope with it. But it's a road map to look at how God planned, revealed, and executed what he wanted for this world. Pretty simple. You see, in this world, 
regardless of where you're born, how you're born, what country you're born, what colour your skin is, where, how, whatever, there's three great questions that, is in, that, are, that are inside us. Three questions. And the first is, how on earth do I relate to the beginnings, to my source, to whatever created me? How do I relate? Who is my source? What is the beginning? What is the purpose? What is the meaning? How do I relate to the source, to the beginnings, to the stories I've heard, to what's going on in my life, to the knowing that there's more than just me? How do I relate? And the second big question is, how do I get on with others in this world? Others. It's okay, I know that there's some others in my family, in my school, in my circle of acquaintances. Am I meant to get on with them? Can't I just go and do my bit and go home and be alone and isolated? And what about the people that are in this world, that are suffering from viruses, from famines, and uh, just don't have the advantages that I have. The people who are not going to school, the people who don't have teachers. How do I relate to others? So you got it, the first one. How do I relate to my source? How do I get along with others? And thirdly, will the pain and suffering in this physical world have any kind of resolution? And what is my attitude to this to be? Where did it come for? What's the use of it? So you've got the three big questions. Now those questions will be asked in various ways by all peoples everywhere at most times or at some stage in their life. So when we look at our Bible, we know that it has a beginning and an end. And the beginning we call the first two chapters, Genesis 1 and 2. And the last, right at the end, which we call the new creation, is Revelation 21 and 22. That's a good place to start reading if you've got a couple of hours this week. Not even a couple of hours. It takes 10 minutes at the most, if not that long. Okay? So that's a good place to start. Now, my friends who know me know that I always read the end of the book. I get a little bit in and I think, oh, how's it going to end? So I go and I have a look. I confess... I like to know the end of the story. Yeah, okay. I just found someone else who does that. Most people laugh at me, but I've got to know. And then I can cope with what's happening in the book. So I'm inviting you to read the beginning and the end. Now, everything that is in the rest of the book, we actually call, in Bible speak, God's story or the salvation history or the human story, or the story of this earth. Now, it's in a way just a snap shot. It's not the history of the world. No book could contain that. So I don't really find much in here about what was going on in India, or Marco Polo, or some of those other conquerors of the world. I don't find very much in here about what was happening among the indigenous people in the Americas or in Australia. I don't find that in here, okay? But they're invited, like you and me, to be part of God's story. What I find here 
is God directing because he's going to be revealing his story and he's going to show us what is important. Now there's stuff in here that I don't like. I hate war stories. You too? I hate it, but there's full of some ugly war stories in here. But when I look at the world, I still don't like the war stories I read. The fighting that's going on right now in Syria, Turkey, and uh, other parts of the world. The bombings in Iraq and that. I mean, I live here and I try to close my eyes and pretend it doesn't happen, but it does happen. So we find out, what is it? that is in the human nature that has these wars and rumours of wars and conflicts and tensions. So we call it the salvation history, the God story, the story of the earth, our story, and where we fit in. Three words I want to talk about that we talked about. We said it's the roadmap of how God planned, revealed, and executed his purposes for this world, his plan. Now, planning is okay. You know that word? So at the beginning of this year, I got out a calendar and I coloured in. This is where I'll be there, this is when I'll be this, and I have my little diary and I'll write it in. And do you know what? I have to rip it up already and start again. I was going to China next month. Guess what? I'm not. <laughs> I was going to Hong Kong the month after. Guess what? I'm not. And so I have to plan all that again. I have no ability to rightly execute my plans. True? I can say I have an appointment at 9 o'clock tomorrow morning with someone. And all things going well, if the child's well, the child doesn't get sick, and the, there's no, you know, I will meet up with them. But I don't have that infallibility to know that it would really happen. I can plan. I do plan, but things happen. But God plans, and he reveals his plan. And his revelation, it's like a drip feed. I want to say that, because right in the middle of the story, we get the big revelation. Who is? Jesus. So everything builds up to Jesus and then it's the Jesus story in this world. And there's this time before and there's this time after and how Jesus influences the world. Hebrews 1 says, in the final days, in the last days, God revealed to us his final spoken word, Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus the saviour of the world. So, Revelation, and as we go through, we discover his character. His character never changes. It's always been. But what happens is that we as humans discover what he's like. And we say, ooh, I had a revelation. But he was always like that. Okay? I actually once wrote an article on God changes. And already your heretic hands are going up, eh? Because you know God never changes. But if you follow Jesus, it seems as if he does change. But who does the changing? I do. We do. And it seems as though our God gets bigger and wiser and more trustworthy and greater capacity of love. And wow, it's like that, isn't it? He's not just this tiny little baby in a stable anymore or on the cross. 
there's more to him. And every day I am invited to discover more about what he reveals. So that's the second word. Third word, executed. I've already mentioned a little bit about that. You can't do it. I can't do it. God executed his plan exactly. And as far as he is concerned, there's no surprises in his planning. No, uh-oh, what's gone wrong? No plan B. Our God executed his plan. It was exactly as he wanted. So I want to just take you on an imaginary uh, little trip at the moment to sit in on the planning of God before there was ever a you or a me or any created thing. Because the Bible says, in the beginning, whenever the beginning was, God. He already was there. God. And if you read chapter 1 of Genesis, you find that this God says things like, let us. And you find the Spirit of God hovering. And you find that the Hebrew word is actually a plural word to try to talk about this God. So it tells us already that this God is in community. We call it God the Trinity, if you like, but he's already in community. There's a sense of Jesus, the word, the final revelation, Jesus, the saviour, Jesus, the one who is called the begotten. Already God, always God, but called the Son. We discover the Father, the parent God, sometimes called the Almighty. Sometimes there is the one that we relate to as children, our Father. But there's the Spirit hovering. And so we're going to sit in on the holy community of planning. And here they are, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You know, we have so much love. That's what they say. Love. Look how, look how I love the Son. And Son, look how you love the Spirit. And Spirit, look how you love the Son. And Spirit, look how you love the Father. Father, there's just so much love. And yeah, there's angels over here that we've created. And they're great. They, they share this love. They share our beauty, the goodness, the greatness of who we are. But you know we've got so much love. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we just shared this love with beings like us? And not angels, but beings like us, created like us, able to choose to love and to know that they're loved. And so they planned to create beings like them, to share the love, to know the love, to be part of the love story. Listen to some of the words in scripture. We go here in Revelation chapter 4. This is an older translation, but I love the word of how it's been translated here. It says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honour and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure. You got that word? For thy pleasure they were created. So around that table there's that sense of delight and pleasure and wonder and this is going to be great. And in the message the same verse says this, Worthy, O Master, 
Yes, our God, take the glory, the honour, the power you created. It was created because you wanted it. No accident planned by God. Then later in Ephesians, we read this strange verse. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4 says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. So it was all there in the plan, executed, so that we had the choice to love our beloved. And then right through to Revelation 13, 8, it says this little strange verse. It's got a story of the people, a picture of the people who have not chosen to love. And it says they worship the beast. But then it says there are the ones who worship the Lamb of God, who is Jesus, that was slain before the creation of the world. How about that? It was already in God's mind. Now, this is the hard thing for us. That's eternity, okay? That's eternity. And that's love. Now, it's nothing like I said. We used our imaginations. I tried to capture it. But God created time and space. They're created things, okay? So all of that is eternity. And I don't I want you to know that you are not an accident. So what was God's plan? A good God created a good world in which he placed good people to do good work so that they could live the good life. Just a little bit on that now. The good life is just harmonious living. That's enough for now. We'll unpack that a little in a minute. Harmonious living with myself, with my God, with you and this world and the physical world that God has created. So we come to Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and we'll read about how everything is good. When I read Genesis 1 or 2, I'm confronted with lots of messages and sermons and stories and arguments and books and theological discussions about how it happened. And what I want to say is that Christian theologians and scientists are continually changing their mind about their opinions. Okay, Because true science and true scripture always agrees. Okay, It's just that the role of science is continuously discovering more and more about this universe that we would ever know. And uh, so their job is to discover the greatness, the magnitude, the incredible greatness of this world. And they think, wow, wow, out there it's bigger than what we thought. But you see, when those first humans lived, they could only see a sky at night with bright stars and moon. And they knew the smallness of their world, which was flat, with mountains. They didn't have round atlases, they didn't have planes and anything to travel. Their cosmology, that's the word, their understanding of the world and the universe was very, very small. They didn't have telescopes, microscopes or anything like that to discover. And so for a long, 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 long time, 
The way the Bible is written is if the world is flat, there's a firmament above and a firmament below. And do you know, when the scientist tried to tell people that the earth actually went around the sun and not the other way around, he was called a heretic because it didn't fit the teachings of the church. And it wasn't until last century that they actually took him off the heretic list. You know who I'm talking about? Galileo. He actually said it and they said, shh, it's not true. And he was called a heretic. So scientists need to be careful about their language and we have to be careful about our language. The truth is about the who. Who created it? God. In the beginning, God created it. And there's a few clues as to about how we are to look at it. But first of all, I want to say Genesis 1 and 2 are what I call and what um, is called poetic prose. Some poetry form in among some narrative so that people could remember it quite well. And if we believe that as, as the Jewish people and lots of Christians believe that Moses wrote the first five books, it was written a long time, written down a long time after. And that simply means that people had to remember it. And so they'd sit down and they'd tell their, ch their children, in the beginning, God, God created the heavens and earth. And God said, let there be. And it was so. And it was good. You've got that? That was the pattern that God used. So it's poetic prose. Now there's two accounts. Two accounts. The first is very, very broad. And by 26, verse 26, we get the story where God says, let us create humans. Let us create man in our image. So God created them in his image. And then chapter 2 has to fit into that verse. Chapter 2 is only about Adam and Eve in the garden. The rest is all creation. You got it? So sometimes we read it as if it's like this, like we're used to, one, two, three, four, five. But chapter two has to fit into verse 26 of chapter one. And it's a story about the beauty and the humanness and the spirit of humanity and how God related to humanity and how men and women are to relate to each other and how they are to relate to God and the world. Answering the three questions. How are they to relate with each other, with God, and with the world? And you get all that in chapter two. Isn't that great? Very good. So let's just get on. I'll never finish this. We've got a long way to go. But uh, Christians will differ on what they believe about the creation. Let's just agree with Hebrews 11 and verse 3. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. As Christians, we believe our God created out of nothing, because no matter, no thing, nothing existed before God. 
come to that in a minute. This is really help, you know, heavy stuff. Are you with me? Am I losing you? It's okay? You can leave if it's too heavy. It's okay. <laughs> so the other thing you'll discover if you get this book is how the patterns of seven are in that first chapter. There's seven days. Evening and morning was the first day. Evening and morning the second day. The open sentence is seven words. Seven times it says, and it was so. Seven times it says, and it was good. Okay? And you find other hidden passages of seven, hidden significance of seven doesn't come out in our English translation. Yeah, there are other creation stories. It, I read 19 creation stories this week. Skim read them. And I thought, I'll stick to Genesis any day. I found in the Genesis story a God who didn't create by accident, who planned, a God who loved, a God who delighted. Other creation stories had stories about jealous gods, about wars, rumours of wars, envy, opposition, accidental stuff, and uh, coming out of the ice melting under the elbows of, of, of the armpits of a giant. Okay? Norway's story. I didn't like that one at all. But anyhow, there were lots of stories there. But we believe our God, our God, is beyond time and space. We believe creation is not an accident. It was planned. We believe that nothing preceded God. Nothing. God always was God, always will be God. He doesn't have to fight for his position of God. No one can dethrone him. Nothing before him, nothing beyond him, nothing over him, nothing under him, nothing bigger than him or greater than him. There's no room for God to be better or bigger because he is already perfect. And you can't be more perfect than perfect. And there's no one more complex there's no one more simple. There's no more, more clever. This is our God. You think of it, this is our God. And beyond that, God didn't grow. He didn't emerge. He didn't even develop or evolve. He didn't grow up. Always God. That is your God. You like that? This is our God. What a God. And he's a God of order, a God of beauty, a God of perfection. Everything was good. Everything was good. And so it was exactly as he wanted. I want to talk about this little word, good. It's a Hebrew word, tov. Just if you want to be really smart, you can use that one. Okay? Actually, be very careful because a lot of Hebrew people don't use it because of it's a tonal word. And if you use the wrong tone, it's a curse. So just be careful. If you want to. God, everything is good. It means it's exactly, exactly, exactly as God wanted. What he thought, it happened. Does that happen to you? What he thought, what God in community thought, it was exactly as he wanted. It was so. God said it was so. Don't you love that? It was so. I love it. And it was Excellent, perfect in that. Because the next thing, it was exactly made for the purposes that it was designed for. 
Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I follow a recipe. I see this picture and it's just incredible. Now, I'm not a good cook. I'm not a good recipe follower. But I see it and I find it really attractive. And I do everything it says and at least it's edible. <laughs> but it is nothing like what I set out to do. It was exactly, it was appropriate for the purposes for which it made. That's good. And God said it was very good. That's what he said about you and me, the creation of humans. Very, very, very good. It was a source of great delight, joy, satisfaction. Don't you like that? He celebrated for his pleasure it was creation. Well, what did this good life look like originally? Just a few verses from Genesis. A brief glimpse. God planted a garden in the east, in, the e in Eden, from chapter 2 we're reading, and he put the man that he formed. The Lord made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye, good for food. And in the middle were the trees of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Beautiful. Genesis 2, 25, Adam and his wife were both naked and they knew no shame. That is the wonder of it all. There was no shadow or hint or any perception of badness in them, no regret, nothing there, no guilt, no inner voice saying, you should have done that. What if you did this? There's nothing, no shade of darkness, whatever. They knew no shame, if only. And it talked about Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord God as he walked in the garden and talked with them. The good life now, what does it look like? Good life. I looked up some definitions of good. I gave you the Hebrew and it said, but this is it. A good life is a life that is lived for the good of others. Did you know that? For the benefit, advantage, good of others, lack of selfishness, empathises, puts other needs first, acceptable, excellent, exceptional, favourable, positive, valuable, wonderful, satisfying. That's the life God has called us to. Abundant life, Jesus said it. I don't often live that life, my confession. The opposite to this, and this is where most of us will feel at times, insignificant, insecure, meaningless, incomplete, incompetent, inconsequential, unhelpful, poor, tainted, unpleasant, unsuitable. Feel like that? Most of us don't live the good life well. Jesus calls us, and this is where I have to jump the story. I'm supposed to just talk about the beginning, but I can't talk about the good life without talking about Jesus. Jesus came to give us the abundant life. And you'll find out next week why we needed Jesus. Because we just mucked up pretty bad and we don't live the good life. I don't need to tell you that. I've just read out a little bit. But Jesus called us to live the abundant life. A life that fulfills, satisfies, that's meaningful. That doesn't conform to this world and is squeezed in. It's a life of freedom to be who we really are in this world in relationship to him and to others and this world where we can be custodians of creation and that final story when peoples from every nation peoples from every tribe will be there worshipping the God that they love 
We can't go there without our God. We couldn't get this on the stage and work properly, but this is a mirror. And really, as I look into the mirror of God's creation, without any of the flawness, what I'm invited to see is the beauty and the goodness of God, reflected in us, his humans, his character to come through into the world in relation to the you and the you and the you and for me to know this good life and to be that custodian of all that he gives me, to be a steward of the resources and to know him, Jesus, so that I can live the renewed life despite the fact that I know I have not always lived the good life. But I have an invitation through Jesus Christ who loved me and gave himself for me so that I can live that life. And that's the taste I want to leave you with. I want to leave you today with the knowing that there's a better way to live than what any of us have ever lived. And we can grow and know and be all that he wants us to be. May our God, who created you, in the goodness of who he is, enable you to know the good life and to live it and to do the good works that he appointed before creation of time so that you would be blessed by him. Amen.